Well, Happy New Year's, y'all. It's 2016. You know, I have heard uh, enough people tell me, man, I haven't seen you since last year. You can stop with that. I got to tell you one thing I'm really proud of, and I better, I said it in the first service, I better brag on it now while I can. I have exercised every day this year. Boom! <laughs> That's not, that is not going to last. So, uh, you know, that resolution, oh, God help it. <clears throat> it is pretty amazing the difference that a week can make. Uh, some of you, like me, I, I felt five years older because warm weather, all the mold and the mildew, my allergies were acting up, I couldn't breathe. I was achy, and then some cool weather comes in. I feel five years younger. So um, I know, like you, man, this is kind of nice. We're ready for Christmas now, except it was in the past. Um, today we're going to have some fun. I, I really, I, actually, I don't know that you'll enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed maybe putting it together, but we're in a scene between some series. Next week we have a really neat opportunity. Uh, one of our missionaries, kind of a homegrown folk, uh, one of our homegrown folks, David Petro will be preaching next week in both services. David also is going to have the privilege of baptizing Michaela and Elijah in the first service. So we're going to do it at the very end of the first service. So if you want to come and see uh, David uh, get the opportunity to baptize his kids, then you don't need to come for the whole first service. You can come and kind of sneak in for the last 10 or 15 minutes and be a part of that. So we wanted to make sure that you guys knew about that. But he'll be preaching next week, and then we'll start a new series on... um, what target are you aiming at in 2016 when it comes to your discipleship? You know, everybody wants to exercise, lose weight, fix their finances. What are you aiming at when it comes to your spiritual life? Because if you don't have a target, guess what? At the end of 2016, it's going to be the same as the end of 2015. You've coasted. And so we want to throw some things out there that I think will be um, helpful. But today we want to talk through some stuff that I think is very, uh, very important and I, I think kind of fun. So you see kind of the word pictures there on uh, thinking through uh, what, what kind of church we want to be in 2016. Um, Donnie Burris has said that I owe him royalties for using his photo on the front of the cover. So uh, everyone's had fun with a little uh, Brock Lesnar. So, um, but here's, here's the thing. A.W. Tozer, very famous pastor, missionary, uh, devotional writer, he's written some wonderful books, has, has made a very provocative statement. And he says this, Whatever comes into your mind when you think about God, is the most important thing about you. What do you think about that? Whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Listen, if your picture of God is some grandfather with a big, long Duck Dynasty beard who kind of waddles around and can't catch you when you're being ornery, well, guess what, what that's going to do to your sanctification? You're going to think that he doesn't hear everything, he doesn't see everything. You're going to think that you can get away with things. What you think about God, really, uh, at a very core issue, affects your values, uh, your relationships. It affects everything that you do. And in the same way, what you, whatever comes into your mind when you think about the church is really one of the most significant things about you because it's going to determine what the relationship to the bride of Christ is going to look like. Some people, <clears throat> this is not one of the word pictures, but some people think of the church like an earring. Eh, I can wear it, I can not wear it. And if the church is just an accessory to life, well, it's going to manifest itself in your life that way. For some, 
the church is nothing but a civic organization to do good in the community. Well, we certainly want to do good in the community. You don't have to be a Christian to do good in the community. We want to do gospel good. And so this morning, I want to talk through four, I think, popular, and when you hear them explained, I think you'll understand them, four popular conceptions of how we think about the church. And these are not original with me. Um, you know, when you, uh, when you go to college and all that kind of stuff, and everybody jokes about, hey, here's my autograph for when I'm famous. You know, I, I have a couple roommates that that's happened. One is a provost at Southeastern Seminary, and he's written a really little book. It's maybe 100 pages called Every Square Inch. And in that book, he says that there is not one square inch of the entire cosmos that doesn't belong to God. There's not one atom that doesn't do exactly what God wants it to do. The only things that are created that have moral capacity to disobey God are you and me. But you know, every dog barks. I've never heard a, I've never heard a dog meow. Every dog does exactly what a dog is supposed to do. Every turtle, I don't even know what sound turtles make. <laughs> Every turtle does exactly what a turtle is supposed to do. The only thing in creation that doesn't do what it's supposed to do is us. And so uh, some of these metaphors come from Bruce's book, and uh, they really kind of resonated. And like I said, it was really kind of fun to talk through this. The very first thing uh, that I think people think of when we think about um, a conception of the church is there are some people who think about church as a bomb shelter, okay? Now, kids, you have no idea what this is, but a bomb shelter is uh, when we used to go to school, they used to not just do fire alarms, we used to do bomb drills, and we would get under our desk, and we would wait for the big, bad Soviet Union to rain down, you know, fire from the skies. Anybody do that, or am I dating myself here a little bit? Did the, oh, thanks, Ed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Kim. There we go. And so uh, uh, the bomb shelter. And here's what happens. I, I don't know that the bomb shelter mentality is as much of a temptation for the younger generation because, you know, who's the last person that you want to ask what water feels like? A fish. They don't know anything different. And so everybody is kind of used to their own culture. And by and large, I think people in this generation don't realize what came before us. Nobody, everyone's kind of a chronological snob. You think that the way things are now are the way they always were. In our senior saints, people that are more mature, they can see a massive change in our culture and in our values. And, and while your grandparents may try to make an argument that America was, was, past tense, a Christian country, there is no one with any common sense that says that now about our contemporary culture. And so I think this bomb shelter mentality, this picture of a bomb shelter, is people that are increasingly struggling with a post-Christian America. And one of the things that happens is not just that the things that we value, our team's not winning anymore. It's now that beyond that, there is um, an increasingly anti-Christian sentiment. In the 1950s, if you wanted a job, you went to church. Because, you know, you've got to build those connections. Now, you hide the fact that you go to church if you want a job. Because they may not hire you because you're a lunatic, you know, not-so-knuckle-dragging Neanderthal if you actually believe that God created everything or that a giant fish swallowed a man. And so I think people that subscribe to this mentality have had a collective anxiety attack about how in the world do we live, along, uh, live among people who really don't think we have a right to even have our opinions. 
And so what do we do? We dig a big hole in the backyard. And so I'm not talking about Reed Hopkins and the zombie apocalypse. I'm talking about, you know what? It's a big bad world out there, and we've got to do what we can to protect ourselves. So we, instead of engaging the culture because the culture is hostile, we withdraw, we hide in our bomb shelter, or we build a monastery. There are some people that that's the image that comes to their mind when we talk about the church. Now here's the question. Are there some good things about that kind of mentality? There are. There's a desire to preserve what is good, and we see truth decay happening in our culture, and we want to flee ungodliness. That's right. That's good. We want to preserve what is pure and holy and true, but that we, 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 we completely disengage from the culture around us, and, and that's not good. And so there is a right desire to preserve purity, to flee from ungodliness, but I think it's an example you have a, a, a little story in, in Jesus' uh, three years of ministry where he is transfigured. You know, he is flesh and blood. He looks like a, a, normal, a normal Joe. And uh, uh, for three of his disciples, they go up on a mountaintop, and Jesus is gloriously transfigured. They behold his glory, his divine glory, and they get to see what he looks like without skin on, kind of so to speak. Boom, bright and shining, incredible glory. And Peter immediately says... We're building us a Christian retreat center right here. We ain't going back down. We're going to stay right here. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't build anything because I'm giving you this taste of my glory so that it will empower you as you head from the mountaintop down into the valley where people are and where the mess is and where the Christian witness is needed. Because here's the deal. If you build your mountaintop retreat and you live up there where Jesus is transfigured, who are you going to minister to? Only the couple people that know the secret pathway to get to the top of the mountain. Everybody is down in the valley. And so don't withdraw. Find ways to be faithful in the midst of difficulty. As a matter of fact, you'll find that the way that the scripture talks about the way that we're to engage with culture is not that we are to hide in a holy huddle. Us four and no more. No, that's not it at all. We're, we're, we are commissioned to go out. We are told to compel people to come in. We are told to urge and to beg people to come in. Listen to Luke 14, 23. Jesus is telling a story about the kingdom of God, and uh, he compares it to a master who is throwing a party. And he sent invitations out in advance. And when the day of the party comes, nobody wants to come because they got something more important to do. And so here's what the master says to his slave, what God says to his servants. The master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges or the byways and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. He says one of our jobs as Christians is to go out and compel people to consider God. We are to uh, compel, almost sounds like the word force, strongly encourage, admonish, Listen to how the, 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 the word picture changes a little bit. 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now how many of you are too proud to beg? Even if God told you to. That, that's to be our mentality when it comes to engaging the culture is to say, it's like, it's like standing on I-77 before the Catawba River, and the bridge has been destroyed, 
and we are trying to keep cars from plunging off to their death. You don't do that with a half-hearted effort. You do whatever you can to keep people from perishing. And you beg them to stop. You see, I, I think sometimes with this kind of bomb shelter mentality, we're tempted to think that the church is designed for something that it's not designed for. The church is not designed to be a safety deposit box for the saved. Let's put our goodies in here and let's lock it up. We're not a safety deposit box for the saved, but a service station for the world. There's a huge difference in those mentalities. We don't need to hedge the gospel in and hide it and protect it. We need to let it out because the gospel will do incredible things. We think that the power of the atom is incredible. The power of the gospel turns enemies into allies. Number two, some people see the church as a chameleon. Some people see church as a chameleon where uh, people from the bomb shelter, they see culture as an enemy. People who see the church as a chameleon see culture as an ally. It's kind of morally neutral. Uh, there might be things that are distasteful in culture, but you know, we can, we can use culture uh, kind of like in uh, some kind of uh, way to swing it around and use it for gospel purposes. We can make use of uh, contemporary culture in a good way. It is not an enemy. It is an ally. So therefore, a church that holds to this conception of church as a chameleon has to accommodate itself so it can get with the times. Like a chameleon, these churches will change their color as culture changes its color because an orange chameleon on a green leaf doesn't live very long. And you know, we've got to be relevant. Problem is, that's like a never-ending challenge, right? And so they have all kinds of good scripture that they use to uh, prop up their understanding of what the church is supposed to look like. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. And, uh, and I'll apologize. I don't know. We had some kind of blip. The scripture's usually on the screen behind us, but something didn't sink quite right. So they've got the main points, but none of the Bible verses came through. So you can either turn to 1 Corinthians 9, or you can take, take my word that I know how to read. Okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. Paul says this, Although, <clears throat> although I am a free man... And not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those who are not without, that are without that law, like one without that law. But not being without God's law, but within Christ's law, to win those without the law. To the weak, I become weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means, save some. Paul says, all things, all people. To the Jews, I'm acting like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I'm acting like a Gentile. To people with the law, I'm acting like uh, I'm under the law. To people outside of the law, I'm going to act like this. And so these people, I think in their zeal to reach people, forget something really crucial. The church does not so much need to accommodate to culture as much as Scripture is to uh, speak truth to the culture. Scripture is true. Culture is not true in an ultimate sense. And they forget a very important thing. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, the Scripture says this, There will come a time when they, meaning the world, people will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance 
with their own desires. A church that becomes a chameleon completely loses the opportunity to be a prophetic voice into a culture where there are things that, though they may be popular, are wrong. And you're not going to fit in if you call out sin. To not call out sin is to wave the white flag, to close the book and never open it again and say, I'm going to take my playbook from something else. The scripture says, we need to be sensitive to how we talk about people. You know, we actually email and text message today. Your grandparents didn't do this when they were going to church, okay? Um, There are ways that we can uh, accommodate or adjust our manner. We can change our manner, the way that we do things, but we have to guard our message and our mission. Friends, listen, our message and our mission will never be up for vote. That's not going to happen. But our manner, we can talk about how we do what we do. And is it consistent with our message and our mission? And so there are some truths about the chameleon when it comes to trying to speak the truth in a way that is intelligible. But we need to make sure that we guard our message and our mission. Number three, some people see the church as an MMA fighter. I had to explain this in the first service. This is like, this is like Cassius Clay, Sugar Ray Leonard, Mike Tyson. But the truth is, boxing is not big business anymore. Uh, MMA, mixed martial arts, is the new thing. And somebody wanted to go, yeah, Brock Lesnar isn't an MMA fighter. He was, ever so briefly. He, he came from the world of uh, wrestling. <clears throat> or, I don't know what it is, men's choreography in tights. Um, having wrestled in high school, I don't know that I want to really call that stuff wrestling. So, um, But he made the jump because he's just huge. I mean, he's a monster, and he got completely destroyed when he came into MMA. And so I liked the picture. I thought that was fun. And, and the picture kind of lives up to this mentality of viewing the church as an MMA fighter because these people, they're not going to run and hide like the, like the bomb shelter people. These people, they're not going to change their colors. They're, they're ready to fight. They're like, you know what, Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. All right, let's go. I'm the Huckleberry. We're, we're going to fight. We're going to go after it. And I see this most frequently there's a subgroup of Christian theology called apologetics. And so apologetics doesn't have anything to do with saying you're sorry. To give an apology for something is to give a defense. And so 1 Timothy 3.15 says, always be ready to give a defense, to make an apology for the hope that you have within you. So when someone says, man, that's really terrible. How are you making it through? Well, I'm going to give a defense for why I have joy in the midst of hardship because of what God has done for me. That's apologetics. Some people that drink like all the Kool-Aid of the apologetics punch, they get like really, oh boy, like they don't have any hidden opinions. And so like they're going to convince you that like the nation of South Africa is hidden into like Revelation chapter 11, verse 12. You're like, what? South Africa is in the book of Revelation? No, it's not. But they're so strong on how they're going to talk about it. If you don't agree with them, you know what you are? An idiot. And they're going to talk about end times, or they're going to talk about their favorite Bible translation. They're going to talk about this, or, you know, what color the carpet is, whatever it is. And they're going to make it, they're going to fight. And they, not just defending the faith, but sometimes just defending their opinions. For these folks, the best defense is a good offense. And so, like Liam Neeson, these people have a particular set of skills. And they are going to outsmart you 
They're going to do whatever. They're going to they're put you in a corner, and they're going to make it seem like you have got to be intellectually deficient to not believe what they believe. And you see this sometimes. I've, I, have, I have watched a guy on a college campus get up and share the gospel, and I was so embarrassed that while I'm not in the same zip code as this guy is theologically, I was embarrassed to be associated with him at all because he made it sound like you, to, to choose to go to hell or to choose to not be a Christian, you have to be mentally impaired is basically what he said. That's a great way to win friends and influence people, isn't it? Terrible! But yet he was going to argue with people, and the truth is you cannot argue someone into the kingdom of God. You can't do it. Because if you can argue them in, guess what? Somebody who has a better argument or who's more articulate can argue them out. And that's not denying once saved, always saved. The truth is God is the one who saves people. And we're not trying to win points in an argument or a debate. We're trying to give a defense for our faith. And so these people, man, they've got their, they've got their scripture passages. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 is one of their favorites. Well, listen to this, man. You can understand how the church as an MMA fighter would love this one. Oh, where is it here? <clears throat> uh, well, I'll begin in verse 3. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Yeah! That's a good verse. It's in the Bible. We should believe it. But man, this is their life verse. We're going to destroy, take captive, beat up everybody who doesn't agree with us. And so some say, you know what needs to happen in America for America to be right? We need a moral majority. We tried that. We need, you know, six flags over Jesus in Fort Mill. We need a huge television ministry. And thousands of people to get saved. No, somebody will just get rich. We're going to fight. And so they hear 1 Timothy 1.18. Timothy, I'm telling you, I'm telling you these things so that you can fight the good fight. Paul says at the end of his ministry, I have fought the fight. I have finished the course. I have won the race. And they hear all this fighting. Jude 1.3, Jude says, I feel it necessary to write to you and appeal to you that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. We're supposed to fight. But our manner is not to be pugilistic. It is not a good idea to punch someone in the nose when you're sharing the gospel with them. We have to do things in love, and that's what these people forget. They're ready to suit up and tell others to shut up or put up. We're not going to war with unbelievers. The truth is, the church is not just a base for soldiers, it's a hospital for the sick. And I think one of the things that we forget sometimes with this mentality is that unbelievers are not our enemy. They are victims of the enemy. You know that? Your uh, drunk neighbor who plays loud music and has big tires on his truck and tears up your yard. He's not your enemy. He's a victim of the enemy. Homosexual activists who are trying to change laws in our country. They're not your enemy. They're victims of the enemy. You know, whatever your pet peeve is, casinos, smoking, drinking, whatever, they're not your enemy. Why do they do what they do? Because their minds have been blinded and they're doing what they think is right. Our job is to fight, not to fight in that kind of way. To remember that we're trying to win people, not break people. 
And so we've looked at these three, the bomb shelter, the chameleon, uh, the MMA fighter, and we've all said, you know, there is some truth to each of these. Well, what's, the, what's a better way, perhaps, to look at the church? And I like this. I think, I think there's a better way to speak about it, and that's number four, that the church is to be a preview, a preview, a movie trailer of the kingdom, God's coming kingdom. It's to be a preview of God's coming kingdom, a movie trailer for the kingdom of God. And so here's what happens, friends. With our lips we proclaim, and with our lives we promote. And I think a lot of times when we talk about, when we talk about the gospel, we, we, we talk about lip proclamation, and we forget about life promotion. Okay? This is not just, you know, I'm going to live the witness. No, you actually kind of need to let them know why do you do what you do. You know, there's the guy that lived out the witness to his co-worker for 15 years consistently, and upon retirement, the guy said, man, I'm I'm so glad that, you know, you were, we shared a cubicle together, together, and the Christian is like upset because he knows that he has not shared the gospel with his co-worker. So he shares the gospel, and his co-worker's like, I knew you were different, but I thought it was because you were a vegetarian. People are not going to understand what you live until you speak it. But there are ways that your life can promote what you believe. It doesn't mean that you need to like wear a sandwich board and walk around Winthrop saying, turn or burn, you know. It just means that there, there are ways that you can promote the gospel with your lives. And as we think about previewing the kingdom, there's a very simple checkup that we can all do. And it, it requires three kind of looks. We look up to God and we say that he's worthy of all of our devotion he is worthy alone of our worship. He needs to be the most essential thing in our life. And we, we have to understand it. We have to look at him and say, all right, everything that I've got to deal with inside and outside in this world needs to be informed by my look upward. We need to look inward. And we need to say, am I, am I living out? Am I promoting the gospel in the way that I, I relate to people? You see, the way that a church uh, relates to each other is hugely important. I, I've had two conversations with people just at large in supermarkets, car washes, you know, just sitting in the lobby, um, uh, things like that. And, you know, I mean, listen, we're in the buckle of the Bible Belt, so what's a normal question to ask people? Where do you go to church? I used to go to church. Everybody in Rock Hill used to go to church, you know? Well, what happened? Well, my church, they fight all the time. You know how many times I've heard that testimony? So instead of promoting the gospel with their life and their love for each other, there are churches that tarnish the gospel. That do their best to demolish the gospel because what they say that they profess with their lips is not made manifest. So we look inside to see are we loving each other in a way that when people walk in the doors, it's just compelling. There is a fragrance a atmosphere that people go, I want to be here. That preacher needs to shave. And so do Troy and Reed. <laughs> Big old bushy beard. But I like, I like the church. There's something neat happening there. And, you know, it's true. I don't know if you've ever been to someone's house. If you've ever knocked on a couple's door, you're going over for dinner. And you don't know this, but they laid in like in a knockdown, drag out fight like 30 seconds before you knock on the door, okay? And, and you walk in, and man, everything's ready, dinner's cooked, it smells good, but something stinks. You know, you know it. And they're not saying anything, but you're kind of reading all the nonverbals, and you're like, 
Um, can we get a to-go bag, you know? You know, churches, churches are odiferous as well. They give off a fragrance of either life or they give off a fragrance of death. And then when we talk about being a preview of the kingdom, our, our internal relationships, how, how we are husbanding or wifing or parenting or co-workering, is it showing off the gospel? We look out. We don't just look up. We don't look in. We look out. And we understand that we have a commission to take the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. And we're willing to sacrifice, to beg them to embrace God by confessing Christ as Lord. We beg. We urge. And for people that understand that we are to be a, the church is to be a preview of the kingdom of God, what I love about that is it makes every moment of life swollen ripe with the opportunity for gospel witness. Your marriage can be a witness to people. Your parenting, your service, your time, your talent, your treasure, everything is an opportunity for witness because Christ is Lord over all things. And if there's anything that the church needs to learn in 2016, it's that we don't just need to live Christianly at church for an hour a week. It's that we need to live like our, our lives have been marked by the gospel 24-7. There's not a square inch that doesn't belong to God. And that's true of your life too. Everybody in their house has a junk closet. My house might have a couple of Cleaning out toys and getting rid of all this old stuff, making the big old donation. I had the post-Christmas Goodwill donation trip. Wow. Um, you don't have a junk closet in your life spiritually. There's nothing that you can hide from God. Adam and Eve tried. Didn't work really well for them. And so understand that there's nothing that's hidden from him. And every aspect of our life is an opportunity for witness. I think there's no better way to summarize this when we talk about views of the church and how that impacts how we live it out than to hear the words of Christ related to this. And a passage that I think... I, is the perfect capstone for talking about this. If you um, have your concordance, your Bible student, you're not going to find the word church in the New Testament all that frequently. But the concept is there uh, all over the place. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus talks about the church, except he doesn't use the word. Jesus speaks southern. He says, y'all. In a passage that I think a lot of us take as an individual and personal passage, the truth is what he says is, you are in that are is, you are is third person plural. Meaning not you are like Scott Crouch, Ed Rock, Joe Lichtenberger. It's not you are, it's y'all. So here what he, here's what he says, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You, y'all, are the light of the world. A city. Not an individual home. Not a tent with a lantern a city, a collection of lights, a group of people living together. The church, a city set on a hill, cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's being a preview of God's coming kingdom. 
We're not the full story. We're just a 30-second teaser. And you know what? Let's be honest. Sometimes the teaser isn't that compelling because we make mistakes. We screw up. Do you know what? The world needs to see how people who are screwed up confess, repent, and get back right. Because it's not a they lived happily ever after story. There's a mess. There's sin. There's stuff to deal with. The Bible says, don't run and hide. Because then you're not, Jesus might as well just kill you and take you home right now because you're not doing anything good for a lost and dying world. He's not saying change. Change to the point that there is no distinctive. There is no preserving power. Don't try to fit in at all costs. Don't be so overzealous that you beat people up and trying to minister to them. Be a preview of the kingdom of God where your message and your manner match up and God is glorified not just in your intention but in what you actually do. That's what we're called to do. And I, I believe that if we understand what it means to be a city, a group of people, you see, listen, I look at my own life and I don't, I don't shine as bright as I'd like to. You know, I don't. Um, I'm, I'm pretty dull. I'm not the best reflective service and I don't have any light in myself to give to anyone, but I can reflect God's glory and I can lock arms with other people who are similarly committed and if you will add your dull light to my dull light, we might be a little bit brighter. And then, you know, you add another person or two or a dozen or three. And then it's 100, it's 200, it's 300 people who are doing our best to lock arms, to love each other, and to live for the glory of God. Now, that's an awesome thing. So I think in 2016, we have the opportunity to do some new things. There are some new ministries we may try. There are some ways that we may try to make a bigger impact in Rock Hill so that our city is better because we're here. Yeah, it's a penetrating question. If, if, if God raptured us at the end of our service today, would anybody in Rock Hill even know that we were gone? You would, but you'd be gone too, hopefully. It'd be really bad if you got left behind, okay? There's a movie about that. Um, <clears throat> but there, there's, there's a very serious need for us to think through, how do you think about the church? Is it just four walls and a steeple? Is it, you know, a pulpit or no pulpit? Is it a particular form of dress? Or is it a group of people who are committed to living for God's glory and being on mission together? Because what you think about the church will determine what you do. <clears throat> One of the ways that we're going to cl- close our service here this morning is by uh, singing out our praise to God. And so I'm going to pray for us here in just a minute. Um, but before I do... I want to read one last passage of Scripture and just make, uh, make an appeal. I know that we have some guests that are here today, um, and I don't want to make you do anything that you don't want to do. But in a um, desire to be a good pastor, one of the things that I can't do is I can't contact you and try to be a good pastor if I don't have a way to contact you. And so we're in the midst of trying to change up our bulletin and do some different things. So we're going to have a communication card in the pews next week. We'll have that this week. Because everybody who didn't had unused vacation time used it up this week. Um, and so we're kind of in the midst of improving our communications and, and really uh, communicating more frequently with people through an expanded bulletin. But I have some visitor slips up here. At the very end of our service, not during the service, so I'm not making anybody stand up and do anything. At the end of the service, I have a couple gifts. I got one, two, three, four, five for first-time guests that are here. And if you'll come and you'll fill out one of our visitor slips just so I have a way to get in contact with you. I uh, would love the opportunity to drop you a note, make a phone call, and just say, hey, are you just passing through, or do you want to talk about church? Because you heard what kind of church we want to be. We want to be a preview of the kingdom of God. 
And if that's what you want to do, then we need, we need to link arms together and shine a little brighter together than we can on our own. And so if you're one of our guests and you'd be willing to do that, I'm going to be right here. I would just love to be able to put a face with a name and have some contact information. Before we sing, now before I pray and the band comes up, I figured it'd be good for us at the start of the year to make crystal clear that we hear what our instructions are. Okay, you ready for this? Do you know the Bible actually gives you instructions? They're, they're, and if you can like read English, which none of y'all were educated in Georgia, so y'all can do it, okay? If you can read English, you can. <laughs> oh man, I bust him on for his beard too. Um, that's terrible. <clears throat> my wife started sneezing because I didn't shave. I'm like, that's not going to work. It's my winter coat. <laughs> if you have the audacity to read it, the question is whether you have the boldness to live it out. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God, we thank you that you love us and you have given us another year to live and to love and to laugh and to glorify you. And I pray that as we are on the precipice of a new year with new opportunities, new challenges, new obstacles, God, that you will help us to just say, we love you and not be absolute blasphemous liars, that we will demonstrate it not just with empty words, but lives that are dedicated to being the very best preview of the kingdom of God. God, there's one sense in which we all need to confess that we are so sorry that we are your representatives because we know of our own weaknesses. So God, that would be unfaithful for us to confess that because we know that your power is perfected in our weakness. And so God, while we regret our shortcomings, we gladly offer them to you and say, God, use all of what I am as little as it is for your great glory. So God, I pray that as a church, our fellowship will grow sweeter, our worship will grow deeper, that we will fall more deeply in love with you, and it will be demonstrated by tangible love and service to a lost and dying world. Help us, despite the things that we despise, help us not to run away from the world, but like you, to incarnate your grace and goodness to a lost and dying world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.